0: This is Janine of Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life. Today we're going to start with a three-part discussion on understanding in healing chronic disease. Today's discussion with Dr. Matt Flory is going to be on detoxification. Part two is going to be on inflammation and part three is going to be on something that probably most of you have never even heard of. It's called methylation, and it's a very important topic, which you'll see when we get to part three. So we're going to start with part one, detoxification, and today we have Dr. Matt Flory. Hi, Matt. How are you?
1: Hey, Janine. Good to talk to you again. Thanks so much for having me today. (laughs) appreciate it.
0: Yeah, as always. Um, I'm really excited about this, especially because I'm doing a detox program myself right now, And um, I think that, well, one thing I've been noticing in, uh, I was listening to the autoimmune uh, uh, series, the series on, on healing autoimmune disease that was on the internet. And I've noticed that they're putting out a lot of information now on detoxing and they're really stressing detoxing.
1: Yeah, no, that's absolutely correct. You know, and we always, you and I, always have such uh, fun conversations. And uh, uh, there's there's a lot of information here, which is why you've noticed that. Um, I think you know this is one thing I've touched on in here, but the concept of toxins or detoxification has been so uh, breezed over and watered down mm-hmm. in our standard way of you know thinking out there. Um, Uh, In our social circles that it's really a big big disservice. I feel
0: well, you know, I agree and I was just thinking while you were talking that I mean, I think the whole concept of detoxification for a lot of people and I know it has been kind of on and off for me, but that it's kind of scary. And two things. One, that it's kind of scary. And two, do I really need to detox? Why do I need to detox? You know, I lead a pretty clean life. Um, I I don't need to detox. Maybe other people do, but I don't. So I think that this is important.
1: Absolutely. And in fact, uh, I know that I'm going to hit on those uh, those two factors you brought up right there. And if I don't, Uh, Hold me to it and bring it back (laughs) up to make make sure I do. But yeah, you know, a lot of people do think that, oh, hey, I felt bad when I detox and we'll touch upon why that can happen Mm -hmm. Um, and and why it's a myth to think that it's that means it's bad for you or it's something that you should avoid uh, uh, again.
0: Got it. Hmm. So okay. So let's start with you know why why do we need to detoxify? What what is going on? Why why can't our bodies handle the toxins that are being thrust upon sure,
1: us? Sure, sure, sure. So the real problem is that toxins uh, in our environment, in general, uh, they cause epigenetic changes.
0: What does that mean?
1: So epigenetic changes are at the core of chronic inflammatory diseases. Mm-hmm. They alter, they uh, they actually alter even generation to generation, especially, which we'll touch on, the physical structure of DNA. And therefore, um, it can alter not only in an individual, the phenotypic expression of those genes,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but then also, that can change mother to offspring uh, or, or even mother-father to offspring. It can change what is passed along generation to generation. So we're, we really are at the core of it, talking about the structure of our DNA, and that equals structure of our enzymes. Okay? Mm-hmm. The okay. reason why enzymes are important is because they are catalysts. And enzyme structure or catalyst structure equals the individual ability to be able to carry out the biochemical reactions that are necessary for our life. Okay. Mm -hmm. So again, this, these enzymes are formed by the DNA code and, and, you know, have you ever heard of uh, somebody mentioning that uh, there's some quiet DNA or there's DNA that we don't use kind of like almost, you know, the parts of our brain we don't use.
0: Yes. Yes, I have.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so this thing called methylation which we'll get to later on it actually controls what parts of our DNA are open okay when the open ones are what's going to get transcribed into enzymes mm-hmm. all right okay. uh, meth- methylation when we get to it it is it is huh, you could almost put an equal sign between methylation and epigenetic change because uh the the um Uh, These areas on our DNA that are open and available to be transcribed into enzymes, uh, that's at the core of this this kind of Uh, discussion of epigenetics and epigenetic changes. And so, you know, we've got uh, methylation and there's, you know, it's important for the formation of neurotransmitters, hormones, over 200 plus other biochemical reactions that are out there. Uh, And so this structure of our enzymes, again, as a catalyst for our biochemistry is at the core of this, uh, this discussion of why are toxins bad? Mm -hmm. All right. If we have an, Mm -hmm. if we have an enzyme that is, uh, physically capable of carrying out those biochemical reactions, then great. We're good. But if that enzyme structure has been altered, which mm-hmm. is what happens, which is what happens with poor methylation or, uh, this, these epigenetic changes, then that chemistry is not going to work right in your body. Mm-hmm. Bottom line. Mm-hmm. So we, we have issues there. So examples of the epigenetic changes are again, methylation, uh, uh, histone aspects of DNA. Um, the histones are what you might uh, have, have seen in, in uh, discussions being associated with aging and life expectancy, okay? So, mm-hmm. okay. so okay. then when, mm-hmm. the in, when the body encounters an entity which is a threat to it, its first line of defense to it is to sequester it, and that's done with inflammation. So again, in terms of why are toxins or toxicity, why is it a problem? Well, it leads to inflammation, and, and thus our next discussion uh, in, in this series, but uh, you know it's interesting when you look at the top ten leading causes of death, at least in the U.S., and eight of those top ten involve chronic illness and inflammation, and a ninth of those, mm-hmm. a ninth one of those, can be attributed to a lowered immunity and a weak immune system. And you can imagine if somebody's walking around chronic uh, with chronic inflammation day in and day out, that that's going to have an impact on the strength of their immunity and their immune system.
0: So, what would somebody look for? Like, if somebody feels, say, you know, you feel okay, but maybe you don't have the energy you used to. You're you're not feeling quite right, but there isn't anything you can seem to pinpoint. Um, what might be some some of the signs and symptoms of toxicity?
1: Sure. It's a great question, and uh, maybe this statement will uh, explain why. Although there are certainly things and questions that we can ask, um, and, and I'll give you an outlet to be able to do that here in a second, but uh, why that is still such a difficult question. The New England Journal of Medicine states that 9 out of 10 of all known pathologies are related to inflammation, okay? And so when we start looking mm-hmm. at the pervasive um, exposure to uh, uh, to toxins in our environment then we start to understand about how the, how they can be translated into literally all, nearly all these diseases that we know of for us today and so here's here's some top here's some top things that come to my mind uh, when it when, when we start talking about conditions and signs and symptoms there's things like infertility and we're talking both male and female okay Uh, We're talking Mm -hmm. about neurologic Mm -hmm. things, anxiety, depression, bipolar. All right. We are talking about, like Mm -hmm. you said, you've heard about this with autoimmunity. And there's like uh, somewhere around 90 different ways that the immune system will start creating antibodies against our own tissues. And all of those are different flavors of autoimmune disease. Uh, Mm -hmm. So uh, autoimmunity is an epigenetic situation. Cancer. All right. Uh, cardiovascular disease is inflammation related Uh, myriads of the of the GI and gastrointestinal disorders uh, out there allergies asthma uh, uh, liver issues obviously liver is one of the top things that is involved in our detoxification in our body and one of the uh, I think the greatest growing disease out there right now is non-alcoholic fatty liver disease
0: yeah i've been i've been reading about that lately we can
1: Mm -hmm. get into that discussion at a different time but uh you know the kidneys um, are kind of a, a next line of defense after the liver. And so kidney disease, you know, certainly is involved there, uh, thyroid issues, which we know, you know, nine out of 10 thyroid problems are autoimmune in the first place. So that makes sense. But then all those diseases of aging that have be, been becoming over the last, uh, you know, couple decades, uh, growing, um, at, at astronomical rates and, uh, coming to the forefront of our, our mind, you know, when it comes to the Alzheimer's Parkinson's, things like that. So, you know, I like to, you know, call, you you, know, you, you think about this histone uh, aging and life expectancy, and you think about all these you know d- diseases that are related to inflammation and and all these pathologies. And you know I like to call our age, not our numerical age really not how long you've been on this planet, but how much toxicity you've accumulated over a certain amount of time versus how much you've gotten rid of, okay?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that makes sense because what you're calling the diseases of aging i I think it's very sad, but it's becoming just part of what people accept right. as well, I'm getting older, yeah. you know that this is what right. happens.
1: I know when I got over my autoimmune you know issues, I seriously i you know I had depression, I had thyroid problems, a number of these things. I literally felt 10 years younger. I felt like I shaved 10 years off of my quote unquote age. And so I've got a personally a different perspective on aging, <laughs> but. Uh, mm-hmm. When it comes down to some of the, the symptoms that we can, like, you know, kind of ask questions about and see if they're present in a person, what I, what I thought might be a good way for us to go about that, because there really are so many, and again, all these diseases and pathologies that are out there, what I thought might be a good thing to do is I can give you a link that is kind of like a little online test to, uh, for somebody to assess whether toxicity could really be part, uh, in part, responsible for their poor health.
0: Oh, great. Yes. Okay. Why don't you um, give it to us so people can go to that and I'll also put it on the, uh, on the website.
1: Yes, that'll be a, uh, do you, do you know yeah, that'll uphand? be functional dot com slash toxicity test, mm-hmm.
0: functional slash toxicity test. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'll put that on the website too. Great. Okay.
1: So at this point, we can go ahead and uh, really start to dig into some of uh, you know how is this such a big problem, right?
0: <laughs> well, you know the other thing I was I've been thinking about this because I've been doing so much yeah. research lately, and you know like what really is the immune system, and how how do these toxins affect us? Where you know where do they get lodged in the body, and, and how? Uh, how come we're, we can't eliminate them? What you know?
1: Well, uh, we will. We'll get into why can't we eliminate them? How do we eliminate them? What's responsible for eliminating them? Coming up, you know, the immune system, immunologists, um, and I'm thinking this was in the fifteen, maybe twenty years ago range. Started coming up with a really a, a different, unique definition for the immune system, something that they um, different than what they had ever thought before the immune system mm. began to become conceptually something that they recognized as being pervasive to every cell of our body right rather rather mm-hmm. than being okay. something that was that was living or housed in structures like our thymus gland which creates lymphocytes uh, some of our lymphocytes it helps it uh, differentiate others but our in our bone marrow right these these areas that we know um, were progenitors of immune tissue uh, and what they started realizing was that the immune system was pervasive all over and throughout and so uh, one example of where do these toxins end up in our body is in fats in fat cells okay Uh, Mm -hmm. we ended up storing them there. We, we, uh, there you go. And, and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, right? Where else does our liver put toxins, uh, that it's overloaded with, but within fat. And so whether that's in our abdomen and the abdominal fat, that's such a, a, a problem, uh, we're going to talk about obesogens or toxins that just uh, dr- drive uh, fat deposition and the inability to burn fat, um, but in fatty cells. And then even when that's, you know, when the abdomen is getting too much, well, then it has to start, it even starts storing them in the liver itself in fat, in this non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So, you know, that that's, that's a probably about as far as I should go into the immune question currently, um, without, with you know, without maybe some other uh, understanding of the sources, you know, what is a toxin in in, in general, and mm-hmm. and we can certainly, as we get into inflammation, we'll certainly be talking a little bit more, you know, definitely bringing in the immune system and and those sorts of aspects.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so just the one thing that yeah. comes to mind um, as you were speaking, um, and we don't have to go into it sure. deeply, but just so there are so many people. Now who are mm-hmm. obese and so many people who are trying to lose weight. So as they're losing weight and losing fat, then where are those toxins, those stored toxins? Going? Right,
1: right. Well, if they can lose weight and burn fat <laughs> mm-hmm. Based, mm-hmm. based on the toxins that there have been or are continually exposed to, that is a very, very important question is, are the seven channels, which we'll get into in a little bit, are the are the channels of detoxification, are they ready to eliminate it from the body? And there we get into that one myth that I referred to about I, do, I don't respond well to detoxification or I didn't feel good when I did it. Well, if your body is kind of burning them and, and it's caught in a no man's land but not able to completely eliminate them, well then – yeah, you're just you're just re-exposing yourself to these toxins, and so it can feel bad. And so we'll, we'll touch upon that.
0: Okay, great. So where would you like to take our discussion next?
1: Well, you know, in general, if, if we can start at a at a at a kind of a foundational point, at a very general sense, there's two forms of toxins that we talk about. Mm-hmm. One is endogenous, and one is exogenous, and that okay. basically is only. Um, uh, separating uh, toxins into where do they come from are they do they come from outside of our body or do they come from the actual uh, biochemical uh, processes in our in our chemistry within our body and so that the ones that come from within are endogenous the one that comes from sources outside of us are called exogenous and well mm-hmm. uh, there's this concept that has uh, started uh, being talked about more and more and more in the last decade called the exposome, E-X-P-O-S-O-M-E, and this is, uh, the exposome measures the exposures of an individual throughout a lifetime, and how those relate to their health, and being that exposures cause epigenetic changes in parents who then conceive, uh, The exposome doesn't even begin, just an individual's own exposome doesn't even really begin to encompass the entirety of the biochemical and health effects because we really have to think of it not only as what's happened to me, what have I been in contact with, but what about my parents? What Mm -hmm. about my grandparents? Mm -hmm. When I started, you know, just an example, when I started really understanding why I was left... Um, it, you know, in 30 years old and, you know, mid 30s with a thyroid problem and depression and th- these autoimmune conditions, vertigo, uh, which can be an autoimmune condition. Um, mm. I looked back and realized that my grandparents were in farming and the military. I feel like yeah Mm -hmm. it it hit me well no wonder two generations down the line after my parents then lived in this world and then everything that I've been exposed to over 30 years no wonder my immune system is disrupted and Mm -hmm. I have autoimmune disease right Mm -hmm. yep got it yeah so it's understandable you know how we see these increases of these diseases and disorders that are related to these epigenetic and inflammatory changes such as autoimmune cancer um you know there's even an autism in fact you know let's right. throw that in there hey there's a wikipedia page for the epigenetics of autism Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So these these topics are intertwined, uh, invariably intertwined. Um, You don't you know, you don't think,
0: too, of mental health issues as being a part of inflammation and toxicity. I mean, depression. Um, I was listening to uh, Dr. Vrain, uh, one of his his talks on YouTube yesterday, and he was talking about how inflammation in the microbiome, one of the um, one of the symptoms is depression because of the, the in, intimate connection between the brain and the microbiome.
1: Absolutely. And I'll tell you, because of my experience with that specifically, that's literally why I've dedicated the rest of my life to supporting others in understanding this. Um, and, and doing something about it. And, and I really, I love to help people well with a myriad of, uh, of autoimmune and inflammatory and, and health challenges, you know, the type of stuff that we've already kind of listed, but mm-hmm. you know, depression's one that's near and dear to my heart. It really is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so, you know, the the, the sources of toxins, it's just, it, again, there's endogenous, there's exogenous, it, it's just pervasive. Um, there's a really interesting, very informative uh, website, a uh, resource, a consumer advocacy group called Environmental Working Group. Um, and they have a website, chemicalindustryarchives.org. And uh, if, you, if you just start to... Uh, uh, you know, peruse a little bit that website, you start to really get an idea of what we're up against. There's, you know, they'll have lists, you'll see they're listed, there's, you know, more than 7 million recognized chemicals in existence right now. Isn't
0: that crazy? I mean, yeah, I can't even, I mean, you, you just throw the, you know, throw out 7 million. But if you really, really think about it, you, I can't even get my brain around that.
1: You can't fathom it. I mean, as of 2001, there were 73,757 in commercial use at that time. I mean, we're talking nearly 75,000 different chemicals uh, that are were in use at that point in 2001. OK, I mean, it's it's gotten to the point where the at least in the United States, the regulatory agencies that you think are supposed to have a handle on this thing. Right? right. You know, when you get back to your question of, well, why do I even need to worry about this? I leave live a clean life. I mean, you know, how are you going to live a clean life when seventy three thousand seven hundred fifty seven chemicals are in commercial use? You know, mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. but the regulatory agencies like the EPA, the FDA, they have no idea. Of exactly how many uh, of these chemicals are used in consumer products, nor what products they're in, and so you know there's an unknown number of chemicals that you know that really we will, will, will never will never really be known. Um, uh, you know where they are, what they're doing, and when you realize that of the of the chemicals that they do have archived, okay, that they have done some sort of vetting process on. Mm-hmm. Those are only what are known as organic chemicals. The point here is the EPA only has to oversee and approve the use of organic chemicals, meaning any chemical that does not contain carbon are exempted.
0: So (laughs) if a chemical has, so carbon is what uh, differentiates organic and non-organic.
1: Correct. Organic chemicals contain carbon. Other ones don't. Only the organic chemicals have to go through the, the EPA's process. Anything that is inorganic, any pesticide, any food additive, and any chemical produced in quote-unquote, this is by the EPA's uh, you know, website, quote-unquote low quantities are all exempted. <laughs> wow. And the pro- besides that the approval process which is called pre-manufacture notification is okay. only a 90-day process and if you remember back to our discussion on glyphosate what was one of the tactics that big companies are able to use to get their stuff passed they'll take research that is let's just say over 90 days and it may be documenting health issues and we've seen time and time again where they will redo that research with only a time period of 90 days and they won't find any problems and they'll get their stuff approved right Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so you know the pre manufacture notification process that the EPA runs is only 90 days Um, uh, over half of these have no toxic uh, toxicity or environmental fate data meaning they don't know how long these toxins will uh, will exist in our environment how, how long there will be until their half-life you know till mm-hmm. they're degraded mm-hmm. right right and, and and then when you look at the amount of applications that are there eight out of ten of the apl- of the applicants are approved within three weeks 21 days
0: <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, and right. then there, then there's the topic of of these chemicals being used together with other chemicals that 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 synergistic effect hasn't been tested, has it?
1: Now, exactly. That's something that we we spoke of when we talked about glyphosate, because really, truly, it's very true that glyphosate is less um, detrimental to the human body unless it's in Roundup, because Roundup contains other types of chemicals that help it enter the cell structure. And Mm -hmm. so it becomes more toxic. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, there's two billion pounds of pesticides sold for use every single year. Two billion pounds. Wow. You know, and and, and again, only one in a hundred of these approved Uh, chemicals by the EPA contain any biodegradation data or how long will it persist in our environment until it's not going to be something that can be uh, active on our physiology anymore or or on the on the environment Mm -hmm. anymore in in a state like that another just you know just kind of to wrap your mind around this sort of a thing even though it's it's very large scale which kind of makes it tough yet but um In the North Pacific, you know, uh, again, you'll want to Google this maybe, or there's a Wikipedia page dedicated directly to the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. You ever heard of that? Mm,
0: mm -hmm. Yes, yes,
1: (laughs) yes. You know, and and so we've got in the North Pacific a massive spiraling bunch of junk that is uh, estimated to be somewhere. And I don't know how they can uh, not have a better estimate than this, but somewhere between the size of Texas and the continental United States.
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's quite a bit of a a variable there, but
1: (laughs) there's a lot of variable there. And so, you know, today's discussion is completely about chemical toxins and doesn't even really touch upon then other sorts of toxicities that are out there like radiation. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. electromagnetic frequency. Mm -hmm. And so there's again, just want to put out the scope of this discussion and what our bodies are uh, are are exposed to because of that exact question you asked me. Why do I need to detoxify? I I live a clean life. Right. I don't Mm -hmm. I don't notice symptoms, but we're taught that these symptoms um, of, of being a individual living in this environment that is just overburdened with toxins. These symptoms are, you know, like you said, just things that happen to us as we get older, you know, and diseases happen. And I'm not so sure that that's the end of the story.
0: I would agree with you. Right.
1: (laughs) You know, a couple things that have happened here recently, uh, literally a few days ago on June 15th, the um, uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, put, put out a story as I was preparing for this. I, I thought it was really interesting. This just came out that they they now fi- found that um, uh, lead is found in higher uh, frequency in foods of baby foods than it is the general like the general uh, population of foods. Right. The, the, the general no. In fact, 20 percent of baby food samples tested one out of five. <laughs> you know, who's gra- who is at the grocery store is grabbing, you know, 10, 20, 30 bottles of baby food. Well, out of every five of those, one of them, you know, it, uh, by this report anyway, contains lead. And, and it's just it's just absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. Just uh, just so people know, actually, just so people know, sixty five percent of samples of root vegetables that that had lead in them. Okay, baby carrots. All right, Mm. more often than regular carrots. Uh, Forty percent of crackers and cookies. Twenty nine percent of fruits and four percent of cereals. So just so people can have uh, some idea, you know, eighty nine percent of grape juice. Had, had, had lead in it. This was from this study. 67% of mixed fruit juices, 55% of apple juice, and 45% of pear juice. So again, just so people can have some take-home information to be able to be useful.
0: Wow. Now, does yeah. it make a difference if it's organic or non-organic?
1: Uh, well, I don't know if there was that uh, uh, delineation set up in this uh, study that's being reported on by the American Academy of Pediatrics. I'm not sure if the organic versus inorganic had uh, any sort of um, uh, influence on whether they would find lead in it or not. I, mm-hmm. I actually I can't I can't say if that's the tr- uh, that's true or not. So
0: okay, so but this was all baby foods, right?
1: Yeah yeah everything i okay. just mentioned right there were baby foods or products like grape juice and the fruit juices that are you know very often uh, scooped up by parents mm-hmm. so that they can use it for nutrition for their their developing children
0: so from my perspective the takeaway from what you just said is that if at all possible um don't use commercial baby foods with your little ones that you need to be making your own, if possible. And I, I'm sure that's, a lot of people don't even have the time or yeah. the energy to do that, but that would be right, the ideal. Right,
1: right. Yeah. It's becoming something that we now know about that we have to be really, really choosy about where we're getting our foods. And and obviously with this, you know, bit of this discussion, um, that's even more so an issue with baby foods.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Good information. Thank you.
1: Yeah, for sure. So you know, once we realize you know how pervasive this stuff really is, uh, I guess really the next logical question there is after you know why do I need to detoxify? You know, it's how how do I detoxify? Mm-hmm. You would think, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. So how do we have we really deeply covered what uh, what the what the some of the signs are that we would take for granted? As we're getting older, things that we think are natural. So our energy getting lower, not, uh, not having a lot of energy, um, maybe insomnia. You know, what What? I think. Go ahead.
1: I think those are both pretty decent ones. But you got to you got to remember that if we're talking about nine out of 10 pathologies, then you also have to be alerted to this problem when the doctor tells you your cholesterol is high. Mm-hmm. Right. Where the doctor tells you that, okay, hey, we've got some cardiovascular concerns, we've got a thyroid problem, we've got GI issues. Uh, when you have when you have symptoms of depression or anxiety, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he- certainly, headaches we can we mm. can say is up there. Um, the feeling of lethargy, like I think you said, fatigue. Uh, a lot of these things. But we we have to be aware that even when we think we're feeling pretty normal for the average person our age, if we've got some of these problems going on that our doctor starts talking about and starts giving us medications for, Mm -hmm. then we very likely have a a toxin problem. All right, good again we'll go ahead and we'll you know put that test out there so that you know people can kind of get a for a better idea for themselves based on their own individuality how likely you know it is that they have a, a an overabundance of, of toxic mm-hmm. load
0: mm-hmm. I was really kind of pushing the the issue because I do think that most people will think they don't have a problem with
1: toxins I agree with you that is what I that is what I encounter mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: okay so so what do we do uh, what do we do? We go to the doctor, and we find we're starting to get um, uh, some diagnoses of of imbalances, mm-hmm. of uh, health challenges. We're not feeling that great. We don't have the zest for life that we used to have, and we think, "Oh, it's just I'm getting older." Um, what do we do? Yeah.
1: Well, the first thing to do is to watch out for two of the biggest myths that I think are out there about detoxification, and the, the we, we already kind of mentioned one of them, uh, and that is that people do, once in a while, tend to have bad responses to when they detox. And, and I'm talking about an increase in symptoms.
0: Mm, okay,
1: This should not be, yeah, this shouldn't be looked at as though that herb or that these vitamins, minerals, or this process even is not good for me because I'm expressing symptoms. This should be not only an indicator that you're overloaded and that, yes, <laughs> you've got toxins in your body, but that there is some impairment of the normal process of getting things eliminated from your body and we'll talk about that so that's one of the big myths you got to watch out for don't poo-poo detoxification because you respond symptomatically to it that's really more of an indication to figure out how do I need to do this properly Um, second the vast majority of people think that they can purchase an herbal detox quote-unquote in a bottle uh, from their health food store or online and that they did oh, you know what? I I, I did an herbal detox ten years ago. I've already detoxed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, it can't, it can't be farther from the truth, and, and I think as we get into you know the, the, this next discussion of how do we eliminate it, what are the seven channels of elimination that we that we use that detoxification uses to remove stuff out of the body? I think you'll understand why this concept of oh I I detoxed once back you know after my undergraduate days <laughs> <laughs> I detoxed and uh, I'm good to go, doc. You know I, I've already done that. I've been there, done that. That just uh, that just doesn't work. So um, I think that's the other Mm -hmm, big myth that's mm -hmm. out there.
0: Okay. So what are the seven channels of detoxification? Is that where you'd like to go next?
1: Yeah, I think that's perfect. I'll just, I'll I'll run through them real quick. And then I'm going to cut back to the first two just to touch on them to kind of explain some of these things that that I mentioned that we would uh, get a little deeper into. So number one on that list is your colon. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Number two is your liver. Mm-hmm. threes, kidneys, then comes the lungs, the blood, the lymphatics, and then the skin. In fact, if you have a chronic skin condition, if you get hives, if you have allergic reactions, uh, if you have skin sensitivities, if you have acne that's pervasive, if you have eczema um, and dry skin patches, watch out. Because it's it's not a coincidence I listed the skin at the end of that list. What that means is that the other channels of elimination are compromised to a degree enough that your skin is almost a last-ditch effort of your body to get stuff out of it. And I know that sounds like a weird idea, but your body literally will push stuff out through its skin. Because guess what? guess where you're, 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 the, the majority of stores of your fat cells are in your right. skin, mm-hmm. right? And so if we say that we store a bunch of toxins in the fat cells, well, then your body, with everything else compromised, it's going to try to push it out through that skin.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay? Fascinating. I didn't know that. So, yeah. So what you're saying, just to summarize then, yeah. is if yeah. you have chronic skin conditions, eczema, psoriasis, um, whatever, that that is an indication that your other channels of detoxification, colon, liver, kidneys, lungs, blood, lymphatics, they aren't up to snuff. Some, something right. in there isn't and working it, properly. And so it's coming out in your skin.
1: Absolutely right. And you probably... You have a high likelihood of being one of these people that, quote unquote, don't respond to detoxing very well. Mm. Right. Because if you do that, you're probably going to get worse eczema or your acne is going to increase or on, you know, any, any of those things, you might get some allergic reactions, some hives, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so again, all this stuff kind of goes together there, but you know, the, the, the three main or the three major, I should say, the three major phases of detoxification involve those first two, the colon and the mm-hmm. liver. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the phase one and phase two, of our detoxification process, which basically involves taking a toxin and processing it chemically so that it can be removed easily from our body. The number one and number two occur in the liver. Okay. All right. Phase one really involves some pretty basic vitamins and minerals. Okay. These are things that are easy to acquire from our diet. And so it's not very often that a that uh, it's not very often that access to detoxification substances are at, are a problem here okay. right uh, we, we we have pretty good exposure to these vitamins and minerals unless of course there's an absorption problem in the gut that's not something for us to get off track and go on to today but you know we'll get into that you know when we get into inflammation uh, absolutely but so phase one is really pretty easy to carry out There are some genetic variations that can influence it though, okay? okay? There's enzymes that are involved in the processing of these chemicals and they're called CYP enzymes or CYP enzymes. Mm -hmm. There's all sorts Mm -hmm. of them. And again, these are coded for by our genes and they can vary, um, especially, again, when we're talking about the epigenetic changes that can happen generation to generation. Are
0: there about 40 of those? Is that what I've read? Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Correct. That is you're thinking of the absolute you're, absolutely, you're thinking of the okay. right thing. Mm-hmm. So that's phase okay. one, okay? And, and, and phase one takes toxins that aren't good for us, but it turns it into a different chemical. Okay. Phase which phase two picks up. Now, phase two, I'll just say this: if if a toxin, and we'll talk about why it might happen here, but if a toxin gets hung up in between phase one and phase two, watch out because Often, those intermediary toxins between phase one and phase two are much more toxic than even what we started Mm -hmm. out with. Okay? Mm -hmm. So, what phase two does is it takes this intermediary toxin and it either methylates it or it glucuronidates it, which is basically taking a glucose molecule and attaching it to it. Or it sulfurates it, which is taking a sulfur molecule and attaching it to it. And the way you can think of these phase two processes that do the use the glucose or uh, sulfur or in methylation a carbon, um, it's kind of like our body's putting a recognizable handle or or on that toxin, so that. Other molecules can come recognize, hey, this handle is something I can pick up mm-hmm. and I can carry this toxin out of the body. OK. All right. Mm-hmm. Some of these some of these things recognize the glucose. Some recognize sulfur. Some recognize the carbon group of methylation. And so they can grab them and they can get them out of the body. Interestingly enough, when we talk about that sulfuration, just to talk about, you know, touch on what, something we talked about before in autistic children um this uh, a study performed by um, uh Waring and uh, WARING and his group of group of scientists showed that 92% of autistic children had a problem with sulfuration or mm. the liver phase 2 attaching a sulfur kind of compound to that toxin to get it out of the body okay mm-hmm. so uh, Interesting. i just to kind of frame mm-hmm. some of this again yeah and so then we already mentioned how, um, you know, these intermediaries are often worse than the, where, where they started. But the, the whole point of phase two is to put that handle on there so, uh, so, so something can recognize the handle and get it into the colon. Okay. okay. All right? And
0: is that happening in the liver?
1: Right. Right. So the phase two reactions happen in the liver and then it dumps it into the GI okay. tract. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. So then we're, we're in the GI tract now. We've passed through hopefully phase one and phase two. We're now in the GI tract and we're moving down into the colon. And phase three is there in the colon where we are able to excrete this Mm -hmm. stuff. All right. Now you can, there are some conditions in the colon, uh, that we can pick up on stool tests and other, and other things of that nature that can identify levels of certain enzymes that are really very normal and necessary for our bodies uh but when they are imbalanced can cause recycling of these toxins okay mm, okay for instance just to be for for a very short uh, specific mm-hmm. here beta beta glucuronidase is an mm-hmm. enzyme that is produced from the digestion of normal fibers by normal gut bacteria so it's a very normal mm-hmm, thing okay but when we have when we have too much beta-glucuronidase compared to the amount of fiber in our diet, then that excess enzyme beta-glucuronidase it doesn't just stop working.
0: Okay.
1: It it, it continues to work and it finds something else to work on. And the something else that this specific enzyme works on is glucuronidated toxins. Something that is in phase two and it breaks apart that toxin from the glucose kind of um, uh, the glucose type molecule that it's attached to the handle. It breaks the handle off there and then that toxin can be reabsorbed with normal bile reabsorption that happens in the colon. You know, Our, our, our liver has to do all these things. It has to process in, in some way or another certain aspects of carbohydrates, metabolism, protein, fats. It has to deep process all these toxins well it try our body our colon tries to help out the liver take a little bit of the load off the liver by reabsorbing bile Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't have to produce as much okay And if this beta-glucuronidase uh, beta problem is there, then we reabsorb toxins, uh, things like hormones, things like prescription drugs, uh, and a whole series of other toxins. We recycle those. We reabsorb those. So not only is our liver spent resources mm-hmm. to— bind this toxin up but now we're reabsorbing it it's got to do it again and so that becomes a really a very very big problem and you know a lot of times people might like to think okay well if the beta glucuronidase acts on fiber well I'm just going to eat more fiber um I would say that sometimes that's true but uh from the types of testing that I do and what I see coming back um that isn't something that you can count Mm -hmm. on okay? okay
0: so eating more fiber can help but it's not the it solution can't help.
1: it can help but uh the amount of people that it would be an answer for is actually very okay. slim okay mm-hmm. hmm. so you know with the amount of information we've covered so far just about detoxification and about all the toxins in our environment um it, it makes it kind of difficult, and, and you, know, you might see why. It's difficult to describe, hey, how do we detoxify? You know, hey, doc, you know, what do I need to do? Because it, it can be very individual. You know, maybe some of the SIP enzymes by our genotype, our, our gene expression, maybe those aren't quite right. Maybe we have a digestive issue where there's inflammation, and so we have absorption issues. And so maybe there are phase one issues going on there. Maybe we have this beta-glucuronidase enzyme that, that, that's a problem and a myriad of other of other uh, considerations that are there. And so there are things that I I'm going to share that we can do that are general aspects that we need to change in our in, in our kind of our common uh, our common ex- human experience. Um, but when it gets into the nitty gritty of it, it detoxification uh, one of the reasons why it's a misconception just to use that word uh, as a blanket statement is because it is a very individual situation.
0: Mm-hmm, okay? It's Very personalized.
1: It is mm-hmm. very personalized. Okay. okay? Um I do like I said I do want to share some general things though and so you know here okay, here we go great. with some of that. So you know you know over half, well over 50% of all the toxins that interact with the human body interact with us through our GI tract. Okay? okay? And so the first step we must take is to clean up our diet, all mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of there's a lot of aspects to that. We brought up the GMO, um, we brought up the pesticides, all the different topics of discussion. But
0: uh, we need to
1: clean up our diet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All this stuff. But so if we clean up our diet, um, details to be discussed. You know, it, 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 outside of that, that's going to really get us a long way in terms of improving our interaction with toxicity in our mm-hmm. environment. Number mm-hmm. one. Okay. After that, doing something to clean up our homes. The, one of the very top uh, top issues there and we'll, we'll get into some details why, but uh, is the air in our mm-hmm. homes, okay? Um, some of the obesogens, are things, uh, that, uh, we find in very common household products. Hmm. so I'll keep moving. So we can get to that here before we're going to run out of time, but you need to like either, you know, look on again, Wikipedia, NASA came up with, um, a, a study where they studied various types of houseplants and how they detoxified, uh, these, some of these same chemicals we're talking about. And so look that up, you know, uh, on Wikipedia, Google it detoxifying house plants, NASA. Um, you, uh, you can go to the degree of getting a medical grade air filter okay that's something that i did when i wanted to really recover from my inflammation problems and my autoimmune Mm -hmm. disease but then you can't forget your water because water is a again terrible source of of toxicity and i gotta caution everyone don't think because you're using a brita pitcher or a pure filter that you stick on your faucet don't think you're actually detoxifying your water. What those things generally do is they generally take out the stuff that makes your water taste bad.
0: Mm, okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Because what does the consumer notice that their water now tastes different? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm going to give you another website, waterfilterlabs.com. This is a consumer advocacy laboratory. Okay an independent that does independent testing of these consumer uh, commercial products that are water filters and you can look at how they fare okay right. a number of them barely reduce and in the worst case scenario actually increase toxins such as arsenic in the water that goes through that Ooh. filter
0: nasty i know i don't like that i, know. I don't like
1: that no <laughs> So, so you got to do your homework and don't don't be satisfied, uh, don't be satisfied with the Brita Pilch- pitchers, the pure filters, those sorts of things. Um, I can also share with you maybe a link that you can share on your website of what uh, of what I use in my house. That again, it's not perfect because any water filter that has a actual pressure, a water pressure that pushes water through a filter. Is not going to get out all toxins. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, there's um, there are some Berkey mm-hmm. Berkey filters. Um, some of those are really good ones, but they don't use water pressure. There's one that is uh, there's one that is a ten stage filter. Um, oh my that with carbon filters in between it it does use water pressure but it's very cost effective and while it's not perfect if somebody has an extremely limited budget and they're gonna need to save up for something like a Berkey like a big Berkey um, uh, there's there's some links that you can find on on Amazon uh, let's see it's called a uh, uh, New Wave Enviro. Mm-hmm and it's a 10 stage water filter and you can spend 60 or 70 bucks and you can get a water filter that will hook up sink side it's not perfect again but at least it will do it'll do something for you until you can you know maybe save up for for what is going to be the most mm-hmm. effective with you know reverse osmosis or some things right, like that right. right so so
0: is there anything that will take out uh, of course i'm thinking especially my pet peeve right now, glyphosate, but pesticides and glyphosate, herbicides.
1: So, yeah. So glyphosate, lucky enough, glyphosate has a fairly short Mm half-life in that um, if we, you know, and you can actually, you know, I do testing for glyphosate in some individuals and you can, you, you can look at what load somebody has on them. But if you support Overall detoxification processes in the body you 're going to be able to get it out of the body and it 's got a short enough half life that you can you can get over glyphosate that 's probably the best news about mm-hmm, glyphosate mm-hmm. yeah, sure? I
0: think I was reading uh, one of my research things I was reading They said that if you if you change your diet and, and get rid of anything that's been sprayed with glyphosate um, in three months, you should be clean
1: yeah, I do believe that um, I do believe that glyphosate is From all the research I've seen glyphosate something that we can get over you know I I know people that have uh, been eating organic for longer than three months and there's and they still show up with a moderate amount of of, of glyphosate Mm -hmm. in them so I don't know if I would say that by experience I've seen that the uh, glyphosate is completely gone within three months but I do think that you can appreciably Reduce your amount of glyphosate. Should you start to uh, move to where you're more and more organic, mm-hmm. okay? And and again, notice how notice how what you um, mentioned right there was a three month period of time. We keep seeing this ninety <laughs> day period of time, kind of over mm-hmm. and over. And I think this really ought to be taken to heart that this is you know the amount of time that the body, it's it's an important amount of time when it comes to your liver, when it comes to these sorts mm-hmm. of topics. That that ninety. 90-
0: Okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and and uh, with glyphosate it, you said you're still finding it in people, but it it also could be because uh, or a lot of organic food does have some glyphosate now cuz it's in the water, it's in the soil, it's you know, it's I I still think you're you're better off with organic cuz you're getting far less of it than non-organic, but that could also be why you're you're finding it in people.
1: Agreed, agreed. But but you got to remember too, when you're talking about being able to start getting rid of glyphosate or any others, any other sort of toxin, is that when we start talking about, you know, the, what we'll wrap up with here, these endocrine disrupting chemicals are obesogens, uh, the stuff that causes leaky gut. Mm-hmm. These things we might be beginning to detoxify from them, but the downstream effects of them might still be going on in the body and so we may not see immediate symptomatic change you may not see immediate symptomatic change going on there and so you got to keep that Mm -hmm. in mind you know um uh, because a number of these endocrine disrupting chemicals they'll they find that when the, the the developing um the developing child is exposed to them they cause basically irreversible irreversible damage mm-hmm. again why one of the reasons why this kind of um, uh, generation to generation progression uh, w- you know we see such problems in, in the increases um, exponential even in something like autism mm-hmm. wow. hmm Wow so you know when we, when we talk about some of these what are known as EDC's or endocrine disrupting chemicals mm-hmm. okay, okay these are these are these are exogenous or coming from outside right. of us uh chemi- chemical or a mixture of chemicals which will interfere with the various aspects of hormone action it might be how much hormone is released it might be does the hormone get to interact with the right membrane protein it might be does our membrane protein misrecognize a toxin an exogenous toxin as A endogenous hormone that we would normally have in fact Mm -hmm. you know the things like BPAs are now known to be um, estrogen like compounds okay and it can be um, uh, excuse me can be misrecognized Mm -hmm. right as an estrogen so you know whether it's the hormone itself the creation of the hormone the release of the hormone uh, the recognition of the hormone by the receptor, these are all ways that these and these EDCs uh, can can have their effect. And, and our hormone systems are so finely tuned. There's such low doses of these things that alter our development and our biochemical processes that we don't always have uh, that much room with which to cause these shifts and, and, and then not have health mm-hmm. problems that can mm-hmm. come from it. Mm-hmm.
0: And you know, one thing that I've learned in the last oh, maybe few months that I didn't know about BPA is that it's in cash register receipts.
1: Absolutely. So you,
0: absolutely. You know, you're, you you take it from the well. First of all, cashiers they're handling it all the time. Um, airline tickets, all of that have have BPA in them, and and BPS. It could be BPA or Bps but bps my understanding uh-huh. is actually more disruptive even than bPA um but yeah, and so yeah. you know you're handling yep. these cash register receipts and and it 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 uh is absorbed in through the skin
1: yeah well and, and we know at this point we know that these things have these effects on the human body I mean uh, you know research has proven. That animal uh, effects on animals are accurate predictors of human effects, and that's due to the fact that these endocrine and reproductive systems of mammals are strikingly similar. similar, Mm -hmm. Okay, you know we we see uh, you know in terms of a history in the 1950s, um, the Gulf Coast bald eagles. uh, All of a sudden, you know, researchers were seeing there was no interest in sex or caring for the young on for these animals, Hmm. and they were becoming sterile. So populations started dramatically declining and later they linked it and they found it was to be chemically induced by urbanization, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. And You know, urbanization brings Mm -hmm. toxins, right? Mm -hmm. Um, In the 60s and 70s, uh, these mink fish in Lake Michigan, uh, they they showed the first evidence in human studies uh, of a neurological impairment due to mothers eating these Lake Michigan fish. And eventually it was... PCBs Mm -hmm. that were found the culprit there. Right. Right. There is a study. There's a study that was seen in alligators in the 80s. um, And the the origin was Lake uh, Apopka in Florida. They were exposed to a chemical spill. And following this chemical spill, 60 percent of males were sterile. Oh, Oh my goodness. (laughs) Uh, yeah. And even their genitalia changed. It was absolutely in- incredible. And so and then, you know, because this was due to a chemical spill. And so even after the cleanup, they saw these same sterility and genital changes persisting generation to generation after the cleanup, Interesting. you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So you brought up the um, cash register receipts. That that BPA is you know is, is not just one of these endocrine disrupting chemicals. It's one of these obesogens mm, that we you know that we were going to oh, talk about a little interesting. bit. Interesting. Uh huh. Absolutely. And so, hey, that's terrible news for anybody whose doctor tells them that their diet and exercise regimen is not up to snuff and helping them lose mm-hmm, weight.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: You know, and people that think that are unfortunately gonna be, you know, are just severely disappointed time and time again. Um, because you know, these are BPAs, which, you know, I think we first heard of them um as a uh something that was released from plastics, right. mm-hmm. you know, but it's one type of endocrine disruptor. And, and this stuff is found uh in, in Gore-Tex, Scotch Guard, Teflon, prescription medications, medical devices. It lines the cans of canned food. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's on cash registers receipts. Just like you said, they put it on the, as coatings of nonstick cookware. Uh, we find it in our mattresses in carpeting in clothing in the PVC for pipes. It's uh, you know, those, uh, those air fresheners you plug mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. guess what? <laughs> you know, air fresheners. You're breathing this stuff all the time. It's in our, it's in laundry and personal care products. They even find this in designer handbags, right? <laughs> um, uh, you know, so uh, things around the house that we build our houses with. You know, vinyl blinds, wallpaper, the tiles we use. Uh, we breathe this in all the time, which is why we got to have these house plants and air filters to. Hey, if you started having problems years or, you know, even maybe a short time after you moved into a new house or you, you moved into a new office building, that's very important information for a functional medicine doctor to have. Um and then when you start looking at what we're consuming, you know, microwavable popcorn—the the, the stuff they put on the lining of that bag or the food packaging of microwavable foods—because these are again, you, you think of the non-stick cookware. You know, these are things that make that mm-hmm. food not stick to the can or to the uh, to the, the cardboard packaging, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think doesn't heat doesn't heat exacerbate the
1: uh,
0: the its ability right. to. Uh, I'm not sure what I want to say there, but
1: yeah, I know where you're going with that, and yeah, I would even say not only just heat, but even you know another example of that is my my mother and uh, you know family aunts and aunts and whatnot would take uh, plastic water bottles, fill it part Mm part way with water, and then put it in the freezer so that they could have a you know a convenient ice cube in in the bottle. Mm, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's really mm-hmm. even more than just heating. It's any significant change in temperature can release stuff from the plastic. So whether you're heating it oh. or you're freezing it or you're chilling it to a significant degree, these are both going to be problems as far as I understand.
0: Interesting. Uh-huh. That's that's very interesting because I had only known about, about heat, like leaving your water bottle in the car, in a hot car or something like that. And but but freezing too. Yeah
1: hmm. yeah, yeah I would certainly caution anyone in in both of those situations. You know, but uh mm-hmm. you know just to just to drive it home. You know, in 2010, um, it uh, might have been University of Albany or something of that uh, uh, of that matter. There was a study done, and they found these obesogens in I think every single one of the samples they took of vacuum dust, the dust that they. People sucked up in vacuums. They found obesogens all throughout it.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. No wonder there's such an obesity problem. I mean, there are other factors too, but that, that's one that I hadn't considered.
1: Yes. And we wonder why obesity is a problem. You better believe it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, we can probably just kind of wrap up a bit, I suppose. You know, we think of obesity. You got to think of the gut. Right. And so, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, we already mentioned, you know, when over 50 percent of toxic exposure is experienced because of this interaction of toxins with the GI, we've just we have to uh, we got to start there. You know, th- that, that's probably number one where people or a person, if they're going to change one thing, one thing at a time, they're going to get the most bang for their buck. Right. Um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a logical place to start there. It's a huge chunk of our toxic exposure. Um our gut lining is very very thin and it gets inflamed. Uh, again, our body's first line of defense against any sort of uh, invader, toxin, uh, or, inf- or or influence like that is to sequester it and get inflamed, and so we get this gut inflammation. And these these toxins, they're one of the compounds that can open up and, and cause this condition called leaky gut. Okay, mm-hmm. they will cause the mm-hmm. failure of the tight junctions that hold one cell. Against the next cell of the thin gut lining and the reason they're so tightly bound is because we're supposed to only absorb nutrients that the cells recognize from one end of the cell if you can imagine the top of a cell. And something coming in the top and and filtering through the bottom. And the only stuff that gets filtered through is just like any other filter you have. It's only the stuff that is recognized by that cell. And so the only stuff to come out the bottom end is stuff that was supposed to filter through. Well, if you start Mm -hmm. breaking apart these junctions that hold one cell to the next, well, now this stuff doesn't have to go through the top and then through the bottom of the filter, it can pass right in between, and then it has direct. Mm. Yep, it has direct access to our bloodstream, and that's what that's what leaky gut is. Okay.
0: Got it. That's a very good explanation. Thank You're you.
1: Welcome.
0: Interesting, and I assume may I assume, I don't like to assume, but may I assume that in part two, when we get into inflammation, you'll be going uh, into more detail and leaky gut.
1: You better believe it. That's a very safe assumption.
0: Okay. <laughs> awesome. Well, Matt, this has been really, really informative. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to part two and part three. And um, I think that that this will be a really good information that that people don't have, yep. you know, a, a really good understanding. Um, because even with all that I know from my medical background and my research, a lot of what you've talked about today, I didn't know. So, sure. Um, great. Thank you so much. And
1: you are very welcome. I love doing it. And that's what it's about, right? Is It's about education, right? Mm-hmm, that's, the, mm-hmm. that's the first step to well, doing something about it.
0: The more, my feeling always is the more education we have, the better choices we can make.
1: Correct. I agree with you. Thank you so much for having me today. Okay.
0: So yeah, until part two, take care. Take care. That's the end of our show. Thanks for listening. There were a lot of good ideas that you can apply
1: to your life right now. Hope you took some notes and we'll take action. Keeping It Real comes out every two weeks, so be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes
0: or Stitcher so you don't miss a beat. You can listen or download episodes from our
1: website, realjanine.com. And remember, Janine is spelled J-A-N-E-A-N.